another episode of Three Wise DMs, the podcast for three dungeon masters who've been doing this for way too long. I've been talking about all the things we do to try to make our games as good as they can be. I'm Thorne, and I'm joined by... Tony. I was working in the lab late one night when my eyes beheld an eerie sight. For my monster from his slab began to rise, and suddenly, to my surprise... They did the mash! They did the monster mash! <laughs> it was a smash, yeah. yeah. Happy Halloween. <laughs> Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween, everyone. And that is DM Dave, the rock and roll DM, introducing our episode on horror gaming. How do you make players actually feel scared at the table, or at least to some extent scared of their characters, or have something other than the goofy, you know, Transylvania 65,000 attitude that gamers tend to bring to the table 24-7. So, you know, today we're going to talk about you know, how can you do horror gaming? Can you do horror gaming? That's something we've pitched before that maybe isn't really possible. And what are some tricks we use when we do want to get some scares out of our players? So, uh, guys... Well, happy Halloween. What do you think? Can you do a horror game and make it scary? Well, what I did was I set up a trap once where the party was in a 10 by 10 room, walked in and found a box and they opened the chest and inside was last year's of my own personal tax returns. And they were <laughs> absolutely horrified. And it, you know, they traumatized them in real life. Very real world horror. Yeah, really. Very. It, it really gripped them. Actually, while we're talking, I don't know how we're not going to bring this up. We got to mention G Dave's game from Saturday. We do. We, I think we do. I think we, you know, we might have some pictures coming from this Woo! of the actual three wise DMs in costume at the dinner with Strahd. Dave, yes. why don't you tell us about what you did to pull all of this off? Oh, I mean, I, I was very impressed. Oh, geez. Well, I mean, I'm, if, if that impressed you, then I, I'm glad I have set the bar so very, very low. This will be easy to accelerate that. Yes, um, all right, go ahead. No. So it worked out. I God, what was it? Six months ago, Thorin, I think you had said, you know, I think we might actually be able to do dinner at Ravenloft on Halloween. And I was like, no way, dude, we're going to be done with the campaign. Yeah, we're not with the campaign. So there you go. Now, I thought that, we were going to be done with the campaign at the dinner, but he got away. I know. No. Yeah, that was definitely going to happen. I'll tell you, we could talk about that. But regardless, I think it's partly because we went to monthly gaming once uh, some of the shutdowns stopped. So we were doing dinner with the devil. We were doing the straw dinner. We finally got to it. We did a very late game. I know a lot of DMs out there are doing it earlier. There's definitely pros to that uh, and cons. I thought it went very well. So I thought it would be fun since it was October. It was near Halloween that we do it as a costume party. And so I set up kind of a dinner party and I cooked. Uh, I made somewhat of a, a fall menu to feel very Barovian. Uh, so root vegetables and such, you know, had wine out, had candelabras out and had invited everyone to or bribed them with DM inspiration. I, I don't think it took that much, but to come in costume inspired by their characters and literally every single person did well above and beyond what they needed to. Uh, and we sat down and we had dinner uh, with me playing Strahd as we sat down at dinner. And that was really fun. That was that really was. fun. That was really cool. And then we did. We did all show up in costume, which, you know, I I was on the fence about it. Fortunately, my wife's in the game, so she ordered something for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have, I have two things to add to that. First of all, if you see the photo of the three of us, I am not a midget. The other guys <laughs> are tall. 
I am 5'9 in the right section of the house. I, that just needs to be said, number one. <laughs> number two, it, it was more than that. So actually, so Dave had his brother dress up. Oh, that's true, yeah. So yes. his Dave was was like Strahd's butler letting people in, and he actually played the butler. And then Dave's brother, who is not in the campaign, did a costume change and played NPCs throughout the game. <laughs> This yeah. was really over the top. He had a lot of details. <laughs> Dave didn't start in costume, but at dinner time he came down dressed like Strahd. Yeah, we have a uh, in the house. Now this is not to make it seem. I remember when Bonnie first told me about her house, and I was like, "Where do you live? Some man? You have a pool, and you have a spiral staircase." So it's not like that, okay? I'm just just let me qualify it, but. We have a spiral staircase. So I kind of did the whole Rocky Horror Picture Show entrance of like Frankenfurter, but as Strahd instead, you know, mm. like the master has arrived. I've been very confused to see him. I would like, yeah, it was, it was, the slow walk down. He, he, he was he, he was not a sweet transvestite, at least not on this night. <laughs> Other games, but not this time, not this time. But it is it's, it's interesting too because Bonnie's house does have in the in the living room where we're playing, where where, where you guys set the tables. There is this like tight spiral staircase and dave comes down a strad it just happened to be wearing the same oh god i was already <laughs> so here's the funny thing so i'm playing a shapeshifter in this game in sessions ago i had planted the seed that okay i'm gonna I, i'm going to buy an outfit like strad's i'm gonna get it tailor-made so it looks like it's like his and i'm gonna work on my strad impersonation and i've been doing this for for, for months i'm gonna tell you this was this was at least probably session six or so when you guys entered Valaki. you yeah. did this yeah. so this is like 20 sessions ago yeah and and just through sheer coincidence <laughs> i wind up showing up in the same clothes strad winds up wearing when dave comes down dressed as him yeah yeah was that was a real triple take moment Damn you, Spirit Halloween store. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, we need to get it for Spirit. We got it from like an online costume store. Oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> it happened to be this. It happened to be the same. This the same Strahd costume. But what was cool about this was I did like in the first encounter, Hulk, Tony's barbarian, is charmed by Strahd. So I get to pull the whole. Okay, I do the costume change. I dress like Strahd, and I go convince him I'm Strahd, and I hurt him to get him his saving throws. Not that I, you know, I ever really need an excuse to hurt one of the other party members, but in this case, it was trying to, you know, it, it, was, it, it worked with it. It was trying to accomplish something, and I was literally dressed as Strahd at the table as well as in the game. Totally worked out. So I think our takeaway there is the use of props in your environment. So if you have the ability to do any of that stuff, I mean, yeah, that was some really extreme cases. If you, you don't have a fog machine laying around, no one's gonna hold you again, hold it against you. But that <laughs> that was certainly uh, very neat. And my point on this is really, I don't know that you're gonna necessarily scare either teenagers or adults at a horror game, hmm. but you can scare their characters with a threat of mortality. And yeah. you, with Ravenloft, you kind of set the tone very early that you're in a low magic world. You're not going to find these, you're not going to find Excalibur or Mjolnir in here. So magic is very rare, hard to come by, and a lot of these monsters are resistant to it. And that puts you in a higher degree of threat. Yeah. Well, I think that's one of the things that is really important to scaring players, even through their characters, is the, the balancing the threat level. 
Like, you're not going to scare players if the players are confident they're going to be able to punch their way out of any situation. You need to introduce something that is significantly higher level than them, and then the scare becomes, okay, we have to run from this like it's like it's, like it's it's Jason and Michael Myers combined, mm. or it's going to kill us. Because if we, if, if you know, that's kind of the essence of scare in, in any story, is that you can't just turn around and stab the monster and kill it. Like, it's going to kill you if it gets a hold of you. I would also argue in the Call of Cthulhu campaign, I feel like I've gotten players scared before with sanity losses and the way things came apart there a little bit. I mean, what do you guys think about that? Does that, do you feel like that has created actually scary kind of situations? Uh, what was really scary there was the fact that there was a point in your game where I was literally the only sane person standing. <laughs> and I'm like, well, if I just turned around and left, who would blame me? Thorne's uh, character, Thorne's wife is afraid of beards. I mean, <laughs> Do Dr. Cogsworth, who's the most interesting character in that party, is on the ground uncontrollably sobbing. I mean, it was a mess. <laughs> it really was. What do you think, Dave? Was that, was that like, do you feel like that, okay, whether or not it scared you as a player is maybe a different question, but do you feel like it captured the essence, like, you felt like you were justifiably in a horror game in that situation? No, that, that's that's kind of exactly, we were just circling that dream between both the Strahd and the, and the Cthulhu talk. Yeah, you're not going to necessarily scare an adult at the table, like, they're scared, like they're watching, you know, The Conjuring, or, so, or whatever, some horror flick, right? Because they have the visual, they have the sound, they have all of that, that to kind of immerse you in that way. But to ramp up the tension level in a way, but also not just the tension level like, oh, I'm going to die, but, oh, this is really dangerous. Mm. Oh, I'm going to go insane. And I don't know what that looks like in game for my character, you know? Or like what I tried to do with, with you guys approaching Ravenloft, because at this point we're doing this very end game now, right? You guys are powered up. You found a ton of magic. You have become very, very powerful. You have punched your way out of every problem and you roll up onto Ravenloft like, all right, let's just take this dude out. And what I wanted to try to do was create that sense of tension and dread. So I had that whole scene where the flashes of light illuminate the crawling walls outside of Ravenloft with just the vampire spawn and Nosferatu, like a hundred of them just crawling along the walls where it almost looked like the walls are breathing to give a sense of, oh, okay, then there's that. What are we supposed to do now? You know, just sit down for dinner, I guess, you know, so. And I will say, when we fought those Nosferatu, we found out we could not take a hundred of them. We had a hard time taking six of them. I tell you what, they are a. Um, there were actually four of them that rolled in, um, and Strahd, <laughs> and and a pretty beefed up Strahd too. I'm yeah. not gonna I'm not gonna lie on that. But yeah, those Nosferatu are no joke, dude. If I found them earlier in the campaign, you guys would have been running across them in Barovia. That's a Van Richten's guy thing for anyone uh, wondering out there. All I say is when we kick Strahd's ass finally and I go to take his sword, it better not be like a magic butter knife because he slashed <laughs> me for like 35 damage. Like that attack, like he cut through walls. All right. Do you want uh, <laughs> do you want the uh, you want the name of the sword? What I've named the sword? Sure. Lament the Impaler. Mm, that's right. Right. That's, that's pretty hard. That is Strahd's jam right there. I will not tell you what it does yet. Tony knows what it does because it hit him, but... It won't do that when I have it. That's the <laughs> What, did it have extra effects after the damage? He, he did an attack on me that did 35. 
That I call. Yeah, I remember yeah. that. And I'm like, wow, as far as melee attacks go, that is that that's solid. Like, what is that? Yeah, at that, at that point, Phineas is like, well, that's more than half my hit points. Right. Now, that's cool to know. I thought you balanced him well. He yeah. should not have been a punk. We should not have met the master of Barovia, walked in there, and just laid him out and have him run away. That was really a full kung fu worthy epic boss battle where we had, I mean, how many players are there? There's five, six of us and an NPC. Yeah. And there was a lot going on. Now the battle before that, there was a, there was a lot of moving parts to that great googly moogly. You had your gargoyles. We had the two other NPCs. uh, Matt was running. Yeah. Yeah. So Dave's brother, Matt had basically, he took two of the NPCs and played them like they were his PCs. So you actually had a player at the table playing two of these NPCs as if they were, you know, like we're playing our characters. Yeah. And I was, it was actually a, one of my experiments that I've been wanting to run for a while. And it just worked out this way for this because it allowed me to hand off, have, you know, in essence, a monster wrangler over on the side that can just run some stuff and do it in a much more complete fashion because then all he's thinking about, okay, what's Escher and Rahadine doing next? As opposed to me going, okay, now I got to get them and the eight gargoyles and what the hell Strahd doing and, and, you know, so it was a, it was a way of me kind of playing with that for these large epic type of uh, encounters. I also thought that worked well because the truth is he was playing them in a way that I don't think the DM would play them. Yeah. Yeah. That was much more like PVP than P versus DM, you know, and I think that makes a difference. You know, he's really trying to play those characters like he doesn't want them to die and he wants them to kill us. Whereas as the DM, you know, you do a little more, you run your guys into people, you give them the fight they want to have. You know, so it's a little, it's a little different. When I, it's think a, I think that's player. fair. Yeah. Yeah. But with what, with that too. So we had that epic battle and I think it ramped up enough of the tension because the party didn't just roll in and, and destroy. Like Tony said, the master, the guy who has taken down Argonvost has taken out all these other people. And you're like, why, what, how is he not ultra powerful? Right. But also, I wanted you to see more than four rooms of this massive castle, right? So, you know, this is the way in which we now enter the uh, the point of no return, as it were, right? And ramp up some of that horror factor, some of that tension of, I don't know what's happening yet or what we're about to run into. Because there's floors and halls and catacombs and all kinds of stuff in here. So it gives that, that level of unknown, which I think also yeah. in horror ramps up that tension so if you're gonna have a big epic battle like that tension is definitely got to be uh prevalent that's got to be a factor you can't have a big epic battle with a lot of moving parts and then not have the guys feel threatened when i ran my marvel game i wasn't looking for threat it was halloween based there was a lot going on but you're superheroes so i mean thorne's character summoned a tractor and matt's character jumped on the track or, or was it a bulldozer and he jumped on the bulldozer and he's running yes, up for some yes. But if I had tried to make that tense, that doesn't have the vibe. You could have, because the Marvel Zombies comics are actually pretty gritty. They're yeah. gruesome. People are getting nicked by zombies and getting infected. And let me tell you, it doesn't matter who the hell you are. Oh, Thor got nicked. He's not going to get infected. Oh, he's infected. Like, they just... <laughs> We all saw we all saw that what if episode. I think that what if episode was definitely a tone changer. Dude, oh, intense. But I'm also thinking, I'm like, do I really want to infect all of New York in my game? <laughs> uh, you know that that's not really what I was going for. Mm-hmm. But 
Indeed. That would really screw me if I ever had to retake the street campaign again and run it. <laughs> yeah, you'd be retaking the streets, literally. Yeah, you, just, you just took a shit all over my session notes. I mean, cool, I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> King New York is a zombie lord now. But uh, one of the keys for this is really rolling it back to the beginning, if that's the flavor you're looking for. You've got to run characters. You don't want them to have super high ability scores. I mean, I would stick to an array. You don't want to have the literally super characters. That's not the over-the-top, high-adventure ones. You want more down-to-earth, gritty, realistic ones. You want characters that can be harmed, essentially. Because yeah. yeah. They'll punch through everything. That's 100% correct. Yeah, and that's that's the tricky thing. is, And it's one of the things like a Cthulhu game is the characters are very vulnerable in that game. And they're vulnerable along two axes. The one being their, their, their hit points, and you can kill them. And yeah, the fact that really taking one hit is a problem in that game. And two being that they're slowly losing sanity as they're going through things. So the characters are experiencing terror and they're they're losing they're losing it as they go along, which kind of creates that that effect for the players too. And those two things kind of work together, I think. You know, Dave, you made a great point that, you know, you guys didn't know what's gonna happen as you lose sanity. You had no idea what you were running into. And yeah. you know, to quote HP Lovecraft, you know, the greatest you know, humanity's greatest emotion is fear, and the greatest type of fear is fear is the is fear of the unknown. Yeah, and that is exactly what you're what you're playing with there to kind of create that element of, you know, yeah, we still laugh a lot of the times in that game, but it does get tense. Oh, well, and that's a that's a big part. Yeah, that's a. I mean, one, I think that's one of the reasons that the Cthulhu mythos has lasted for so long is because he kind of built it on this idea of these these entities that are so beyond our understanding that we can't even visualize in a way right so yeah. it, you can just play with that for that's just fodder for story forever uh but the second point being is yeah I, one of the first things i thought of when we were going to talk about horror games is don't take yourself so seriously i mean that's one of the reasons that i did the whole monster mash in the beginning for this episode was because <laughs> you have to accept I see it again and again, especially like on the Strahd uh, boards on Facebook and things like yeah. this. People getting very bothered because their game is not being dark and serious enough and horrific enough and scary enough. And I'm like, it's not going to be. The only way you're going to achieve that is by allowing the players to have that valve to laugh every now and then. You have to have Dracula dead and loving it playing with. Bram Stoker's Dracula. You can't, you, you just can't, not at the table. On a movie set, yeah, not at the table, though. It doesn't work. Yeah, the palate cleansing dynamic is very powerful. You can't jump from epic battle to epic battle because then what is the epic battle? And then you have the player who's really not there for combat and they feel very left out and that's not going to be very exciting or enjoyable for them. It's that and also I think there's a time element to this too, right? I mean, there is no horror medium where you are in it for like six hours of pop once a month for the space of like a year or even once a week. Oh, you know? that's a there, there's nothing point. else that does that. You So this is RPG horror is more like something where you do need, it's like a life, right? They need to have some ups so they can have some downs. And if they don't have those ups, then they're not going to have those down. And then you got to have some things to attack. So Dave, you did this really well in the Strahd game where Strahd's telling us, oh yeah, I'm sending my vampires out to attack everyone you've met. Everyone you've helped, everyone you think you've helped in this game, my vampires are about to go attack them. Which to us was also kind of the you know dog whistle of okay, well we got to kill this guy now. <laughs> it was the, the head off the snake. Yeah, he uh, he 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 flipped the switch on his nuclear option. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, it was like the architect scene at the end of the Matrix movies, right? He's like, okay, well, we'll just go to reset then. <laughs> so, and that's Chad, when he turned to Hulk and said, I have no questions left, and Hulk flipped the table, and now we're fighting. It was funny. And then just as a quick aside, really, you know, about that, when Chris's character, Scar, says, you know, you don't really have any leverage on us. And I was like, oh, you mean, like, this kind of leverage? And he's like, you know what? Fuck you, Dave. <laughs> but, uh... I mean, but, something he's doing one way or another is not exactly leverage, you know. It's like because I don't feel like that, if we went with him, he'd stop. That card hadn't been hadn't been played yet, yeah. but but Thorne, that was a great point, and I think it's something that totally gets missed. Is that when you're on a roller coaster, it's three minutes, right? Yeah. When you're going through a haunted house, it's ten minutes. When you're watching a horror movie, how many horror movies go past two hours? dramas go past two hours action movies go past two hours horror movies you're rarely going to find something and why because you can't keep that level of heart you can't keep the adrenaline pumping you, you'll you'll just shut down you'll numb out or you'll shut down or you'll yeah. you'll just go somewhere else right and that's a great point because you're sitting at a table for four to six hours where i thought at first you were going with that was the time element because i was asking bonnie about this I said, you know, we're going to be talking about horror. What's horrific in the games, you know, aside from spiders, you know? And she <laughs> said... does not like spiders. Not yeah. at all. Her most horrific session may have been the Woodstock Wanderers where you guys were walking through a forest full of spiders. She, she literally referenced that when we were talking about it today. It's still with her. But she said anytime that there's not enough time to get the things done, mm-hmm. when all of a sudden all this stuff is happening and... We, you can't, you just kind of go, 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 go. And then again, I think that goes back to that tension factor. So it's, it's always about just ramping that up, but it has to be in short bursts. Like you said, you can't keep that dial just pinned or else people are going to go deaf. Like, um, and this happened in our call of Cthulhu game. So we're in this, we're, we're in the, the red letters, which is in the call of Cthulhu seventh edition book in the rule book. And in the beginning, you guys see this guy's body and you kind of oh. laughed at him. You know, because, like, the picture's kind of funny. The whole party kind of laughed. And then this guy reaches out, and he starts strangling one of the players. Now it gets real. But it wasn't a hard encounter. It got a little real. But now, as time goes on, you're starting to see the effects of the thing that left that body looking like it did. And I think having laughed at it in the first place makes it scarier as you find out the truth behind it. Well, when you you show the picture, and we laugh, because we were – four hours in on the game at this point, right? But then you start to describe the eyes being boiled from the inside or whatever the fuck you use your narrative-wise. And that was all all in the book. That was all all in the book description. So that's... Yeah, even his microbiome was dead. Like, all his gut bacteria were dead. These are facts they put in the book, so... That goes to the call through the writers. Yeah, that but that's that's a, a good point is that you then follow it up and you've you've pulled the dial back, so now you can turn it back up and then you can turn it down and then turn it back up. Um it that drawing looked like Steve Carell from the office <laughs> and that meme when he's sticking his teeth out. It it, it was really I don't know how you're not supposed to laugh at that. that that's uh, not that <laughs> was intense, but yes. that, that picture didn't necessarily do it the effect you were looking for. Uh, in my career, uh, I've thrown Ravenloft in as a couple part mod. Yeah. Rather than trying to run a whole campaign around it for that reason, I can't maintain, I have done a whole Ravenloft campaign, but even then, at some point, they escaped it. Um, yeah. 
So you put him in there and you're like, guess what? For the next couple of games, this is going to be a horror. But even then, yeah, you're absolutely right. There's got to be points where there's some humor. There is some some later moments of compassion, uh, things like that. So you those those frightening moments, those intense moments where one character gets really severely hurt and maybe you can't immediately heal them uh, or you're lost or something to that effect have more meaning. Yeah. Yes. I mean, we've had we then the. If when you're in Ravenloft for a longer campaign like we are, part of the point of that is building attachments that the players you, you want to build. You want the player to the players to care about characters in Ravenloft, who then if you kill, the players will be upset about. You know, we have the people at the Wizard of Wines. We have the people who helped us in Milwaukee. We have the 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 animal men we left in the um in in, in Kresk, I believe. Kresk, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like I mean, these are people who we have helped along, and you want to see them succeed, and we feel like we've had a positive impact on their lives. So now when Strahd comes back and kills one of them, that's gonna hurt. You know, there's gonna be if you're all invested in the campaign, you're gonna be you're not gonna be happy they lost, that that, that they're gone. And well, that, I, you know, I that, say, that builds that. I think that that actually, I think you're absolutely right. And you guys have at least shown that, or at least, and that's the thing too, like you're, you're pl- as players, you have to help the DM build this level of, of horror campaign. It can't just all be on the guy, on the, on the person running the campaign because you have to play into it. You have to at least show like, oh, I care about that, that NPC. Yeah. Like when you guys were in Oregon Volts the first time, Argonvolt's Holt, and I decided to have them, one of the Vistani, drop off the coffin that held yeah. Father Donovich from the village of Barovia from, like, session three. They, one of the first guys you met, and his son, the vampire, Doru, and I had a note pinned to him that said, you know, something like, oh, his son got so hungry and signed by Strahd as a way of, and obviously he turned his father into a vampire. And you guys played into, we give a shit about that. That that matters, you know, not that you guys went home and went like, oh, man, that Donovich, I just can't get over it. Like, no, you left the table and we had a good time. Yeah. But during the game, you played into it and it helped build that level of immersion. I feel characters that do that with the investment, that is really what your target is, because literally it's like why I don't like chaotic neutral PCs, like a whole group of them. Maybe that's fun for the higher to the Caribbean vibe, but you know what? When you have a group of just mercenaries, what motivates them? Gold, their fame, maybe tops. They don't even know. They're like, and they're trying to be cool, and they're like, wait, I don't give a shit about anything. You know, why do I care about this dungeon? Oh, there's a temple sunken in the swamp. Okay, sounds dangerous. Get some of their assholes to clean it out, and then we'll kill them and rob them. I just feel like Tony feels like all hipsters are chaotic neutral. Like, whatever. I don't care about that. <laughs> makes a great point. Tony, you make a great point, though, because Pirates of the Caribbean is an example of what is supposedly, theoretically, that's a horror movie. You've got these undead pirates coming to get their thing back and pr- murdering people. That's a horror movie that's not played for horror. It doesn't have any attachment. You just played for adventure. And that is a different kind of thing. Like, they don't succeed in making that horrifying. Not that they try too hard. But that's kind of if you want horror in your game, that's kind of like a what not to do. That's like that's like that's a normal D&D campaign. Well, mm. actually, it's funny you say that. But, you know, how do you threaten Johnny Depp? Well, you put a mark on him that, you know, you're eaten by a monster and then you have your ship dragged down by a Kraken. That is relatively horrifying. And at the end, he gets eaten by a Kraken. <laughs> he goes down like a hero. 
but you know, but I gotta say, like in Pirates of the Caribbean, I never had a horror a horror movie vibe in Pirates of the Caribbean. Like no, like yeah, like that's the example of trying to do this. Yeah, it's high adventure. It's the same reason that Indiana Jones, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. I remember watching that as a kid. The scenes with Molaram are horrifyingly scary, but it's not a horror film because it's Indiana Jones, because you know that he's got, he's never truly in danger. He's never truly threatened. He only will fail forward in the end. You could, you know, you don't know how he's going to do it, but you know he's going to do it. And the same with Captain Jack Sparrow. You don't know how. It's the how is he going to, to yeah. figure it out and save the day, right? Not that if we, if he will. But, we'll, you know, as opposed to The Walking Dead, where, well, you know, I don't know. I mean, yeah, Rick may survive in the end, but the rest of you all are probably going to die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, Carl's safe. Oh, no. <laughs> and that, you know, and, it's, and it just goes to show, like, you know, zombies and skeletons and undead pirates do not make horror gaming. Atmosphere. Yeah. That atmosphere you build is what makes the horror gaming. And, you know, to, to get down to just the brass mechanics of it, higher level monsters that are a higher level than the NPC, a higher threat level than the PCs can handle. Because if the PCs can handle it by fighting it, it's high adventure. If the PCs can't handle it by fighting it, now you can make some horror. That's horrific. Yeah. yeah. That's uh, that is very Call of Cthulhu. I remember one of the most yeah. tense games we had in Cthulhu was when we were at the lighthouse. And the frog fish people things showed up and not one of them, but like a dozen, six, three, 42. It could have been a hundred. It could have been a whole Roman legion of them for all we knew because we couldn't stop them. There was no, we we shot them and it didn't do it. And you're like, cool, guns are useless. So, you know, obviously Tony's character decided to buy all the guns. You did kill some frogs, but there were just too many frogs for your ammunition. That was the situation there. But where I did bring it up was when you guys... So there's a part in that adventure. uh, That's the adventure, I think it's called Beyond the Ancient Trees or Under the Ancient Trees. Again, we're just playing through the the, the adventures in in the handbook. There were zombies, there were Civil War zombies of Galaki, I think, under the one house. And this is something I changed because you guys came down there with guns. And Tony shoots this guy point blank in the face. And it didn't get scary until that guy stood back up, looked at him like, what part of undead do you not understand? <laughs> you know, what part of eternal life do you not get? Then it got scary. You know, now, and at the same time, you know, I've, I've revealed this here already. That's not in the book. Those zombies aren't supposed to be that tough, but I wanted to brush back the players a little bit and make them tougher. So the players got that horror feel. So I made them, I made them impossible to kill with guns. Was that the game? Was it that? Was it prior to that game or after that game that Officer McGavin got his psychosis of trying to buy every weapon on the face of the planet Earth? Before that game. Was it before, when he had already started his collection? Well, it was both. He had started before then, and then after that, he bought even more guns. Because you guys got a big reward. <laughs> so in that game, in in the, again talking about kind of mechanics that make for horror. In that game, I have given the party a lot of money for 1920 New York. We're at the point where I'm like, hey, what do you want to buy? Sure. Now, you're not buying bazookas. You know, I haven't given you access to that at this point, but if you guys wanted to, like, go on a dedicated hunt to try to find an arms dealer who could route you one, like, it's within your means. But then I put you up against monsters. I mean, in a lot of the... And the trick to this is the guns still have to work against a lot of the monsters. Like, they can't be useless. But then when the players are used to gunning everything down and they run into that monster that they can't shoot, 
that shooting doesn't harm or it doesn't do enough damage to, well, yeah. now what do they do? Because they felt safe because they had all the weapons, and now you've made it clear that that doesn't make them safe. Now what? And now you're in the realm of a horror story. Yeah. Like that's what you have to do. You have to you have to take the players outside of the comfort. Uh, you have to take the. I'm sorry, characters. Because you're again, we're adults. We're not going to be scared at the table in any kind of real way necessarily. Maybe on occasion, maybe bonding with spiders. But you're you're basically you you want to make the the characters feel comfortable behind the armor they have and the weapons they have, and then you want to make it clear that that's not enough. And now they're in danger, and they thought they were. They thought they could handle it, and they can't. And that's when terror kicks in. That's that's how I think you do it. For that, it uh, basically sets the tone on how you're going to approach your encounters. Are yes. these handled with stealth? Are they handled with uh, scouts? You check it out. You see some guys down there. You make a debate. You have a plan. Versus, we just go down there like, hey, what's up? And they start whipping their asses. I, that is really, that is one of the most key components or differences, if you will, of how that is handled and how that looks. Um, there was a great, I think it was a, a meme with Matt Mercer in there where they're like, um, you know, the players have a tragic backstory. It's like, eh, but the last one he's riding on the merry-go-round with the evil mustache is when the p- players have a normal family life and, and family they care about that I can then go threaten. That was <laughs> like his end game there. And it's yeah. true. If you have nothing, have nothing to threaten, if they, if the characters are virtually invincible, they have no family or friends or allies or a stronghold or a cause that you can then dare I say apply the leverage to. Then that's a very uphill battle. True. I mean, you can scare them with their own discomfort, but you can't really threaten anything that else they care about. Yeah, there's no blackmail. There's no zombies. If we fart around for too long, the zombies are gonna come in here and eat this one town we saved three games ago. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's both sides. The players have to care and the DM has to be willing to put the players in jeopardy and get them out of the comfort zone. And the DM can't just roll at them with normal you can punch this to death encounters. The DM's mm. gotta throw out something the players might find unfair, and the players need to care enough to react to that and not just get like well, this is unbalanced. Like, you know, that's kind of the dynamic you need to do this kind of game. And that's difficult because I've met plenty of players and role with plenty of players who, honest to God, if I can't punch my way out of this encounter, you've balanced it incorrectly. Is that something you can deal with in session zero? Because I feel like part of the reason Call of Cthulhu works was because coming into it, I tried to make really clear to you guys, look, you're going to die. Like, you you don't want to get in a fight in the system. It's very dangerous. You lose sanity easily. Like I feel like the session zero prep made it easier to get. I don't I don't even think it needed it needed that much with Call of Cthulhu because I think we all got a, a general sense that we were playing literally normal people from a hundred years ago. Yeah. Like we were not you know we weren't playing fantasy characters. We weren't playing superheroes. We were playing I'm a a freaking professor from Princeton you know, who studies old, you know, Hellenistic and Roman stuff. You know, I had no illusions that I was going to be able to, you know, punch Cthulhu in the face once I leveled up, you know. (laughs) And then to tell you the truth, once you start playing in that system, you very quickly understand how they created it with their with, with their skill system and their percentile, like just their general mechanics created an excellent uh cordoning off of anybody who thinks that they can power game their way through Cthulhu. Like, yeah, no, it's a, that's a, just a different kind of game. But again, if you have those players that are really into like power gaming or something, they, they may or may not enjoy the system. So that's cool. Fine. But 
Uh, but the system itself, I think, speaks it speaks for itself. Yeah, it's brutal. You're absolutely right. We almost died in the freaking first game on stairs. Forget the ghost. I mean, <laughs> those stairs. Yeah, it wasn't that bed thing that seemed to kill everyone in, in the previous games. It was the stairs that literally, like, almost two characters died on. The bed missed, darn. I mean, I really thought I was going to get someone with the bed. I felt so sad it missed the stairs. Yeah, and then I got... I got zinged by a uh, like a flesh wound of a bullet out in the woods. I thought I was gonna die of gangrene. Like, <laughs> what the hell's happening, dude? I have tetanus or something. So, I don't know. Also, as the DM, I guess you want to kind of really nail down which way you're going with the following point. Are is this gonna be like you're gonna have players who are gonna die in your games? Is this how I'm gonna nail down? This is scary. You did something dumb. This is like you know our friend Chris is about to put out. I, uh, the, the Tomb of Annihilation he wants us to run, which all my friends think is a great idea, and you can't drag me to a place called the Tomb of Annihilation. This is the <laughs> worst idea I've well, ever heard in my we're character. We're not dragging yet. Tony there. We're going to drag whatever whack-ass wizard you pull in. <laughs> you and six of your six of your backup characters. Yeah. Well, this is kind of something I wanted to bounce off Chris going into this. Like, Is that the flavor uh, you want to set, where we're just like got a stack of character sheets? And like, okay, so I am one sixth invested in Nick, and then I've got Robert, and then here's Bruce. Here we go. Who am I? Who am I playing? Because I open the door and my hands have been cut off and I'm dead. Or can you still set that difficulty slash fear bar high enough where it feels significantly challenging? It is kind of nail biting, but not everybody's dying every session. Like one death a session. Like, I, I've been in those campaigns, and quite honestly, they kind of suck. Well, that's that goes right back to what we were talking about before. It's the same thing, because <clears throat> character death is, you can't move the dial anymore after that. When you're pinning that dial, you got it rammed up to 10 and creating that tension. That's awesome. And somebody drops, whoa, it's intense. If somebody drops all the time, that dial becomes meaningless. Then I'm just spinning it. All right, it's just broke now, and I'm just spinning it like my old speedometer. Where like they just, yeah. I pinned it so many times, it finally just broke. It didn't matter. Well, this butts up with the whole discussion around making D and D more hardcore and like the OSR hardcore kind of thing. Yeah. Where the idea is okay, you can make characters real quick, so you're going to lose characters, and it's super hardcore. So characters die so quickly. I don't think that makes a horror game. That makes more of a kind of like a puzzle experimentation kind of game, mm. more of a, okay, I'm going to try this build now. I'm going to try that build now. When I hear Tomb of Annihilation, I, I never played Tomb of Horrors, but I've heard about it a bit. And it was like, lovely. Yeah, I mean, I've heard players talk about, okay, you, you're you walking down the main corridor, and all of a sudden the, player just, the DM just says, okay, you're dead. Give me your character sheet. What killed me? I can't tell you because then your other character is going to know. Like, things like that, it, like, that's not a, um, to me, that's not a horror game. It's also not a game to get attached to your characters. To me, that's a game for you to keep running out new bills to see what you can do to get past it. It's more like the... You're trying to beat the game. Yeah, it's, yeah. And, and, and you could do it where maybe they just don't die. When some because it's like an old school yeah it's like an old school arcade game right you're, you're you don't need the character to come back you just bring a new character in but it's still that same vibe of okay I'm just trying to solve the game and I think that sounds cool but I'm not expecting it attached to the characters for exactly the reason Tony said yeah. they're going to die like yeah. you're not gonna I think now how we do it really is gonna depend on what Chris wants to do and what all the players want to do that's probably when we have a session zero to talk that out yeah you know so everyone knows what they're getting into but I think it's 
to me, like any Death Trap kind of RPG setting isn't really horrifying. Like you could say Dark Sun isn't either because Dark Sun was a character grinder when it first came out. You knew your characters were probably going to die, maybe just to something simple like starvation or a bee sting. So you didn't get attached to that. Yeah, the point was oh, a six foot long bee. Yes, it's true. <laughs> or a bee sting. Like you, 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 your character went to the halfling village and thought it was fine to trade with them, and then you're like, oh no, okay. You wake up dead on a table, and they're eating you for breakfast because the halflings are cannibals. Oh like, wow, dark sun is pretty dark, dude. It is. I, oh like, yes. Wow. We are eating, I am eating my words about how they could never come out with a setting with slavery because it looks like that might be one of the four they're releasing. That's kind of where the rumors stand. And I'm up for it. I'm for it. You got your Dark Sun campaign. But, like, Dark Sun isn't a good campaign for horror because it's too hardcore. Like, horror isn't based, doesn't come from hardcore character death. Puzzle solving does. You know, you you approach those with a puzzle solving mindset. Because uh, Mad Max is not horror. Right, exactly. But what is horror in the same exact setting, The Road. That's horror. Mm-hmm. I don't know if yeah. you guys ever saw that based off the book with Viggo Mortensen and his son. Shannon, I think Shannon read the book, and I have not wanted to read or watch it because it seems so dark. It's super freaking dark. But you can even take it, uh, a, a similar thing, uh, The Book of Eli with Denzel Washington. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because, again, it's post-apocalyptic, so Dark Sun and stuff, but it's horrifying because of the threat level not the threat of just dying but the infinite ways in which life can go terribly wrong for you yeah yeah and i think you know in call cthulhu i feel like i've managed to get a horror vibe without killing anybody no one's had to roll up a new character in in the call cthulhu system but that's what makes that's what keeps people caring because like like that's a different thing, right? You need to keep the characters around to keep them in jeopardy and maybe kill one at some point, but you want to keep them right on that edge of I care and I'm just hanging on by my fingernails, but you make it clear they understand how close it came. That's yes. hard. If you're yeah. just grinding through characters, that's not hard. That's a puzzle solving game. Yeah, that I, I think the first method makes a lot more sense. I mean, like already Dave's got a great character idea. You have a great character idea. My character idea, not so great, but still... <laughs> like, like you got some really cool ideas. Like these characters are so great. What happened to Roosevelt the hippo? Oh, he died in the second game. Oh, that he was gonna be no. so cool. No, yeah. Thorin and I's character are gonna be the dynamic duo of Chult. I see it already. It's epic. <laughs> They're legendary before they've even come on board. If that's if I come in with with uh, Bixie the Boom Goblin, artillerist yes. <laughs> artificer. I was also thinking it'd be cool to come in with a with an armorer artificer because if you read that right up, they basically when they put on armor, they spend an action to fit it to themselves, and it reshapes and grows to fit them. And I'm like, you could literally walk into like the city watch, step into a suit of full plate in like a back room, change it to yourself and walk yeah. out because it no longer looks like city watch full plate. You stole that, did I? Did you have goblin full plate back there? I don't think you did. <laughs> Got those many goblins in the city watch. What are you talking about? Racist? And now here I am, first level character, 2021, <laughs> <laughs> What you need is a goblin. Because you know, there's a walking switch. in the jungle with that full plate. That that's fair. Good. That's fair. Right. Actually, there is no downside to that if you're an artificer. But that's, we're getting off. That's you're like, hey, guys, it's hot in here. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> that could be fun. Honestly, though, 
I mean, for Tomb of Annihilation, I'll probably roll up several characters and look forward to getting them. It's the perfect... It, I don't know what the rules would be for coming back in. Like, do you bring characters in at level one or higher level? Because it's kind of the perfect setting for, well, hey, we're level four. Let me go make a level four, four build. You're building. You're not making characters. You're you're playing builds in that kind of game, I think. Um, I just think that's part of the dynamic of it. Because, yeah, you're not going to get... I'm not going to get as attached to that character as I am to Phineas. Whereas mm. I was to Zhang, you know, this character doesn't have a future. He's in unless, the annihilation. Unless, depending on how you run the game, <clears throat> like something like this. So I think that's a great point, Thor, where you, it's the idea of contra, right? I just want to beat the game. It's not about, I'm not, you know, I mean, we are all connected to those two brothers, but still, you know, <laughs> that's that's nostalgia. That's not, you know, I love those other names, though. Do you know them, but, Tony? You probably know their names. Yeah, it's one of them, Vince. I don't remember. No, God damn it. I'm turning in my gamer card. But okay, regardless, <laughs> regardless, right? So you have that where it's the puzzle to solve, right? Yeah. But if you have a game like, let's say, Tomb of Annihilation or Tomb of Horrors, one of these meat grinders, but you are able to play it in a way where, as the, as the DM, you're running it in a way that the you can balance it to a point where you can keep them on that precipice and in essence, they kill themselves because they walked directly into something mm. to build that level of fingernails holding on. So they're, they don't have to keep creating characters, but you still have that same level of threat. Does that make sense? What I'm saying, you know, it, it does. Yeah. I, I personally don't think you should do it in that kind of setting. And it's, it, but it's very much, how do you want to DM it? You know, and I haven't, I haven't DM'd it. So I might be off base on this. Meaning but for me, that kind of setting if the whole point with Tomb of Horrors was is just as let's see how many times we can kill a character, well then the players that's probably not the right spot to do that because the game is built to kill characters. You know, so the characters the players should know that everyone should come in understanding you're going into a puzzle that kills you again and again and again. So like I think if you play that as like a trying to not quite kill them, I think you're I don't think you're going to get the true playthrough of the module. You need like to play it up. You need Doctor Strange versus Dormammu. You need that one. I'm here to make a deal. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here to bargain. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's like, it, I'm here to bargain. <laughs> I've come to bargain. It, it, but it's like uh, you said this when we first started playing uh, Curse of Strahd, Dave. You're saying you wanted to get the real playthrough of what is this really about. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so I think if you if you try too hard to let to keep characters alive in Tomb of Annihilation, I think you're missing what it's about. Maybe you still could. It's really up to the DM. No, I mean, for me, I would love to see that, that from what I know of that adventure with the whole idea of the death curse and things like that, I would like to truly actually see how that plays for real without putting kid gloves on. Like, just let's do this. Uh, I have a whole gif race that I can build people out of. And they're all different historical characters. Roosevelt's got so much family. Another Roosevelt was. Oh my god! It's just yeah. (laughs) And I could use the combat wheelchair that they released, and I could come back as Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Then you come in as his cousin, Winston Churchill Bear, or or Bulldog. He comes in as a Bulldog character. Yeah, he's just a drunk Bulldog. Oh, it's perfect. Who's like a a brilliant tactician though, right? Like not if you look closely at Gallipoli. He pulled it off later, but not not early. <laughs> Gentlemen, we're getting off topic. But, sorry, uh, sorry. <laughs> but, I'm, yeah. I'm in the gift continent right now, where they're all 
old historical characters. But I have to ask, though, if you're doing a meat grinder and the point of the game is to kill a bunch of characters and you're succeeding in that and there's no kid gloves and that's fantastic. I mean, as DMs, gentlemen, we all know we can always kill the players. That's not really a challenge. So if I've whacked four of your characters, Thorn, do you really care about the fifth? Maybe you will. I feel that's a real gamble I'm running. That I have this weird cast of characters, three quarters of the game. They're like, how long have you been in? Five minutes? Oh, you're the veteran. Wow. What, what, but like, like what I'm going to, what I think though, uh, and I think that this is probably closer to the truth of the matter with this specifically, is that it gets a little oversold. Because we've all seen, we've all run real hard encounters for our players that we're like, oh Christ, this is a TPK. And oh yeah, no, you drop in two rounds. And they're like, oh, man, that's good. I, I just need a short rest and I'll be all right. So I think they oversell a little bit with, you know, the, quote, danger level of dual annihilation in that way. Again, speaking from complete ignorance of it, yeah. but just from seeing the other adventures that, that have been run, I, I get that sense. I would say Tomb of Horrors was not over so i mean i've, no, I've heard no. enough players talk about that that, that was how that was yeah. now yeah tony you bring up a good point i um, and you can as a dm you can kill a player in a heartbeat i think the challenge with the i think what you're trying to do with the tomb of, Anni of annihilation is you're not trying to kill the players you're just trying to run the tomb and you're letting watsy kill the players <laughs> Yeah, you know, or you're letting the players kill the players. Yeah, send your letters to Chris Perkins. All right, don't tell me about it. <laughs> yeah, because I think you just kind of run it pretty. Well, now uh, one way, I, the way I would approach it, I would run it straight up. I'd let the players know they're going to die a lot. I'd let them handle that how they want to handle it. And if we get bored of it, we go to something else. You know, because I think it's more yeah. of a puzzle. Yeah. But I, maybe there's more depth in there. I always got the impression Tomb of Horror didn't have a ton of depth. It's mostly just a puzzle on a grid map. It's a dungeon build. Yeah, it's a dungeon delve. No, it, I, a dungeon delve is you fight a lot of monsters. A puzzle on a grid map is, okay, this square kills you and that well, square kills okay, you. Well, okay, yeah, but, you know, it, yeah, it's a series of rooms that will try to kill you. <laughs> I remember, I can swear, this is two Mahars. I remember there was one area where we're walking down a hallway and the floor is greased and then you get sucked into essentially a fan and chucked by the ribbons. <laughs> I That's mean, awesome. yeah, there, there's some really hard traps. They're ver they're very serious. Is 5e really a trap disarming system? Eh, not like the earlier ones. That was a completely different set of mechanics. That is true. I mean, it's a little, from some points of view, it's a little, little easier. I know Chris, yeah, the DM who wants to run this, had said that he felt like Ranger was the optimum class for it, which we've always heard how bad Rangers are. Oh, that's uh, so funny, because Roosevelt... The GIF is a ranger, strangely enough. There you go. There Carries you go. a gun. Carries a big musket. And he's a big game hunter. You should lobby to have that upgraded to an antimatter rifle. Just be, <laughs> you just, just based on the on, on the difficulty of the challenge. So, all right. But getting so, back on topic. Though. Yeah, Tomb of, so Tomb of Annihilation, to me, as much as it's sold as kind of like a Saul type thing, doesn't really seem like I feel like it's more of a puzzle. It doesn't feel like something that's going to be a horror. You know, Curse of Strahd can be a horror in part because you start meeting Strahd long before you can deal with Strahd. Like yeah. the first adventure, Strahd shows up, drinks some blood, zoops that we all kind of flies away. Nothing you can do about it. One of the problems you have, one of the challenges in Curse of Strahd, the way Dave has run it, is that we advanced well past the level progression, I think, as we went through it. And now had you run basic Strahd at us, we probably would have slaughtered him. 
and we have we have counter slaughtering everything we've seen in this campaign since about about halfway through it. You know, I mean, like I haven't counted on like a real challenge in a long time. Even like now you've done what, it. <laughs> Dave's like, okay, no, no problem. No, I, I well, we have a real exactly, challenge now. I know this exactly is going to challenge what, in the in the castle. I know exactly what Thorin means because we found it again and again with a lot of the, our our um, our campaigns. Is we get you get to a point and the power creep uh, becomes difficult in that way to create those horrific moments you know you can still build tension you can still have a tough encounter you can still do all those things but the idea that you're going to create a horror atmosphere with that does somewhat go out the window see i think you can still do horror atmosphere or fear regardless of how tough the players are if you're willing to jack up what they're fighting like and that's really what i found with like that, that black dragon encounter He's too low. If I really want to scare you guys, I would have brought him in with fog and made him like a very like an ancient black dragon. And now you're in a terrifying fight. Yeah, I think that would have helped. When you guys fought the corpse flowers later, and again, we talked about this last episode, I think, you know, there's like a half dozen corpse flowers. They actually did drop a character. They almost ate a character. They almost yeah. devoured that character. That was gross, mean, yeah. That kind of felt like like there felt like I had the party scared. You know, yeah. and I'm hoping I can do that even at high levels with the things going on when you guys do turn to face the Malbion, who was the big bad in that setting. I hope so. You know, cause I feel like you can still threaten even very powerful things with more powerful things. So long as you can keep them off balance, but you've got to make the party uncomfortable. Well, like I that's, think that's, that's really solid. Actually. Uh, I was talking to uh, Chris and we're talking about the Marvel game. And he's like, Oh my God, these characters are so powerful. Like what are we going to do? And I'm like, well, you know, one point that actually came from the death battle with Goku and Superman was that, you know, you didn't want to want Goku to be as powerful as Superman because he wouldn't be interesting because he had nothing to aspire to. So if the characters still have something to aspire to, regardless of the system they're playing, then you got room to work. Yeah. As long as the characters want things. And they have to care. And it always comes back to that. The characters have to care. And if you're dealing with horror gaming, you have to attack the things they care about. Or you prevent them from getting the things they care about. You know, And you make them uncomfortable that what they already have can't get them there. And that's kind of where the where the horror springs from. So what is, I mean, what are games you feel like have really done a fairly good job of creating horror for you? And I'm telling you, you've, been play, you've, you've played in way more games than I think the rest of us have. Like, do you have other games you've been in that really felt like they kind of hit the horror vibe? Well, I got to tell you, the Tuba Horror uh, was, it, it was decent. But I have to say Nightmare Keep was the most horrifying. Mm. What, how, why did that work so well? Uh, because while Throne of Bloodstone was harder, we were truly like the triple A team. Forget the A team. Like B.A. Baracus had like a gold mohawk and he was a super saiyan. Tomb of, uh, Tomb of Horror, and I referenced this in the previous podcasts. Like I said, another group of players in the same town with me went, had, had, uh, Lucas DM'd it and they all wiped and ran out with our tail between their legs. Those of them that were still alive. So then we took a crack at this and we also, to be really fair, came in significantly lower than the recommended level because we were, <laughs> we were power gamers. Like, no, we got this. And no, we didn't got this. People died. People got seriously hurt. Uh, people got lost, almost starved to death, almost drowned. People almost buried under rocks. Um, it, it was a bitch. But really, like every the difference there was we had to change our tactics. 
And it's difficult to get the players to change your outlook mid-campaign. But if you can get your players to go, okay. See, some of this may not, you may, this may not roll in those situations. I've had players be like, oh, you throw out a tough monster, and this is bullshit. This sucks. Why can't I just go up and punch it in the face and then kick it on the ground and take go through its pockets and take it stuff? In every situation, <sighs> fighting like 11 Superman clones. Why can't we beat these guys? I don't understand. But if you get them to change their tactics and be like, okay, these monsters are no joke. We have limited resources. We just can't take a nap every 20 minutes. Then that that can start to roll into something really fun and potentially memorable if they survive. Well, it's even more memorable if they don't survive. Not in a good way, but yes. <laughs> Someone has to tell the story, though. Uh, you have to leave one alive to tell the story. Well, I mean, theoretically, all the players will survive, so they can tell the story. I mean, theoretically, I don't know what kind of game you're running. You know, maybe all of us don't make it out of Tomb of Annihilation. I don't. Know. When Dave means sudden death, he is not messing around. <laughs> What about you, Dave? I mean, any thoughts on kind of like any, any any games you've been in that felt very horrifying? Uh, not entire games, but in almost every game I've been a player in, there have definitely been parts of it that were horrifying. Now, they were either horrifying because it was just a ludicrous encounter where you didn't even know what was supposed to happen. Like when Bonnie's nephew threw literally a horde of zombies comes down the hill and he literally just shoves like a hundred minis onto the table. I went, what the fuck is happening? That's great. <laughs> but uh, I applaud that. I will say anytime, and this was one of the points I wanted to get to as well, because it gets into how you can play with it, because there you are limited with what you can do in terms of actually getting the players to be creeped out, scared, horrified, jump scares, whatever. <clears throat> but I think if you can figure out what makes you scared, and enter that into the game and know how to describe it in a way that freaks you out a little bit. Or, and I'll use Bonnie as the idea here with the spiders, what makes them scared and enter that into the game? Like for me, I hate that weird movement crap that they do in a lot of the horror movies now. <laughs> yeah. So if it gets described to me in that way, I might not actually be scared at the table, but I'm going to be a little creeped, right? It's going to freak mm. me out a little bit. Um, or I'll use it to describe it that way. And I'll describe it in the way that I, it freaks me out. And hopefully it has that same type of, um, that same type of effect on the players. It, it's kind of like a Wes Craven thing. You know, Freddy Krueger was like his nightmare. So yeah. he, he made him into the nightmare, right? H.P. Lovecraft did that. You know, he was sitting around late at night trying to write something, and the wallpaper just split from the humidity, and it scared the shit out of him. And he's like, <laughs> "All right, really? I gotta, I gotta challenge that. Yeah, I gotta ch channel that." Wow. I mean, I think for me, when I think about the scenes that got scary, it is kind of when you're right at the edge and you're looking for what is, what can I do here to try to make sure the party doesn't quite die. Like one that stands out is the uh, Yesler Hill that where we had the encounter in the oh, yes, Strahd yeah. with, all the, with all the berserkers. Yeah. And, and I think there was also undead berserkers and there was way too many of them. And we're <laughs> just looking for anything to pull out. Like, I mean, we're all out of stuff. We're all dying. And it's like, ah, I pull out the pipes of haunting I had. You start playing and it's like like and then they start running away, you know, and it's like we were right at the edge, though. Like if, if, if no one had something like that, we were out of luck. 
And it's getting like that a little bit in the Castle Strahd because we are so low on resources there that it's like, you know, we're kind of right there of, okay, so what are we going to do? It's that moment of realizing, okay, we have this fight still and we don't really have what we need to take this out. (laughs) Like we're out of tricks. It's down to Eldritch Blast and just, and I cast Fist. So with that, uh, one mechanic you never want to allow in your game if you're trying to do a horror like tension like that, I think you're really onto something here, is any of this... I can create a magical safe space and go take a nap in. That is absolutely out the window. You cannot allow that. If you're going to use it in certain points of your game and shut it down, you need to have a legitimate reason on how mechanically you're able to do this. But like, for example, in Thorne's game in Woodstock, we're in the crypt. We're fighting that vampire. That one time we, we beat him. We fought him on the top floor, beat him up. He retreated. We went down there. We were out of stuff erasmus was about get was about three minutes from starting to throw rocks at like these vampires i mean i was dry like how's your mana doing uh the blue orb is is got like a tiny little sliver get the magnifying glass out you can see it yeah it's freaking clear but that was a memorable and intense combat. And you got a great point because I have found that in that game since since the characters got access to uh, Morden Kane, it was Morden Kane's hut, I think it is. Leoman's tiny hut. Yeah. Leoman's tiny hut. Sorry, uh, I'm thinking Morden Kane's mansion later. But since the characters got access to Leoman's tiny hut, things aren't as scary because they can always go boom, hut, impervious. We 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 take a long rest. Oh, I'm in no space. No one can get in here. <laughs> now I think I could probably dispel that if I really wanted to, but like that actually came up in the Black Dragon thing too. Now I did use it as a chance to scare them because I revealed the Black Dragon staring in at them, and I described it as a skeletal figure just staring and staring. Yeah. And it slowly drifts and then it drifts away all of a sudden. So I used it, but knowing you can be safe is not. It's comfortable in the core horror is making your players uncomfortable. So yeah, getting rid of spells like that is a step in the right direction. I'd also argue there's a couple things that kind of ruin it. Banishment. Um, <laughs> what's the one that makes them run away? The uh, Dissonant Whispers. Dissonant Whispers. Like, you kind of need to think about that, and I would actually advise you to f- figure out a way to make that not quite work the way the players think it does. So like, for instance, with Dissonant Whispers, usually that winds up working out because you get the guy to run away, but then he gets to reposition and attack them from another angle, which took me a long time to learn, to be honest. With Banishment, the player's already in attack because they know when he's coming in, and then it's like, like, just like, go Ginsu on the dude when he when the dude when he comes back in. You need something to protect the, uh, the, the, the horror villain from that. Because if they could just unload on him and kill him when he pops back in from banishment, that's not, you know, that that's that's not horrifying anymore. They're comfortable. They know they control the situation. So either you need him to make the save, because like the banishment itself isn't really a huge problem, so long as he's still coming after them. That's just okay, you you knock the building down on Jason. He comes back later. You know, uh-huh. that's all that is. But if they can if they can banish and then kill it kind of ruins the effect. So you need a way to have some kind of a vulnerability or something or another ability, something to pop out or just use, maybe he has legendary saves, you know, legendary resistance. He can auto make a save, but you got to keep an eye out for those spells because if you're trying to do a horror game, you need to make the players uncomfortable and you can't make the players uncomfortable. If they always know, well, Hey, I can just lay him in his tiny hut anytime I want. And eh, eh, you're beat. And honestly, if you're going to allow your, your big boss, that scary Jason guy to be stunned, make sure he gets up afterwards. yes i will say the one the the strad mechanic where i feel like we've reduced him to near zero hit points twice and he's just he's managed to get away both times 
and now we're running even lower on stuff is like that's dragging into deep water you know and you, you want to know um you only reduced him close to uh with this battle this battle he was you guys were were laying into him pretty good but it was it's in his castle right so yeah you know those lair actions are fun but, uh, yeah i'm sure i can see you're having a lot of fun with them for sure <laughs> There, it's in it, it. No, what it what it is because this is the first time I really got to play with with big lair actions in five e like this. And yeah, it does change a lot of what's happening on the battlefield. And Thor, I think about this with you, we were talking about dragons during the one episode. And yeah, those lair actions like it would be helpful to have the you know people to understand like you know look into those. So if something is is fighting it in its lair. There's a whole lot that happens that changes yeah. the dynamics of that battle. I mean, especially if you're trying to create a horror game, because having having the bad guy be able to disappear or break line of sight with the with, with the party and then reappear from another angle, that's terrifying. Yeah. You know, if you can have those kinds of things happen, things that hit the party from angles they're not ready for, those things lead to scarier encounters. Put enough of it together in a game where the party's not used to having that happen to them, and you can scare them. I'll tell you what, the two ones that I really loved, I, that I thought were really fun, that would have been even more so if you guys were, like, fifth level when it was happening, was one where he can pull your shadow from you. Oh, that's and, charming. And turn it into, like, and he literally takes your shadow, right? And where I don't he, need my shadow. And where he calls a, a dead spirit that died in the walls of Ravenloft to come attack you through the floor or through the walls or something. It just appears, and, and that shit's fucking horrifying. Like, I'm thinking, like, movie style. Like, that shit, I would be jumping in my seat. All right, guys, we've been going on for a little bit here. So let's get the final thoughts on horror gaming for Halloween. Well, you want to approach this where your players need to change their style up and consider different approaches with encounters. It cannot be just a hack. You can't have a horror hack and slash uh, necessarily. That doesn't seem like there's going to be tension uh, the players also need to have investment in the game, and you need to think targets you can threaten. Are you threatening their lives, their friends, uh, their temple, their cause, something? You need, dare I say, the leverage to apply to, to kind of make this all work together. And as Dave pointed out as well, there's got to be breaks in this. There's got to be the palate cleanser. You can't have a three-hour terrifying uh, you know, session nonstop. And then, you know, go to commercial and then go right back to the terror again. It just wouldn't come together. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're probably all going to say a lot of the same things because that tension dial is of the utmost important. You have to be able to ramp it up, but you have to turn it back down because it's it's going to break if you keep it ramped up the whole time or your audience goes deaf. Um, that tension dial, you can ramp it in a couple ways. You can do it physical ways in which they're vulnerable that way, but very Cthulhu-esque, or in 5e, you have this this mechanic you can utilize too with sanity, because again, that's the unknown. We don't even know what that looks like still. We still don't even know what it looks like in Cthulhu. Explain, to the, explain to the DMJ so you can find it in the Dungeon Master's Guide. Yes, yeah, there's, there's sanity. Uh, there's a whole horror section in the back uh, where they have some really cool mechanics. I would look into what makes you scared and play with that. It's like the Wes Craven thing with Freddy Krueger. What makes you scared? And then turn that around and you might actually hit onto something that freaks other people out because of the way in which you describe it. And the last point is don't take yourself so seriously with this stuff. It's it's still a game. 
you got to have fun and you have to allow your players to turn to be able to have an agency to turn the dial back on you. You know, it's their dial as well, not just yours. Yeah. So, you know, all great points, all really great points. For me, you know, the number one thing you've got to keep in mind, we're trying to run a horror game is this. Horror isn't fair. Mm-hmm. In everything else we do, we talk about balance. We talk about balancing the game so it's an equal fight for the players. We talk, it's fair. Horror isn't fair that's what makes it terrifying so throw your balance out a little bit because the thing that you want to be hunting them the thing you want to be scaring the players should be overpowered compared to the players consider mechanics like the players it's something that is strong enough the players can't beat it in hand-to-hand combat so they need to do something special to kill it stab it with a special dagger or something consider those kinds of mechanics because that's what makes a horror movie and that's also what's going to make a horror game throw out fairness Make sure the players are ready that, you know, yeah, this is going to be this. You're going to be dealing with something that, you know, things that you can't necessarily kill, which has worked really well. That kind of session zero stuff worked really well for Call of Cthulhu. And then just embrace the idea that the players need to be on their toes and running. You know, a little bit, uh, a little bit, uh, the one character from Hellboy, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the, uh, the pyromancer, you know, you should be running. The players need to understand <laughs> what they should be running and not just standing there to fight. And I think if you can do that, and you can just keep them in there just by their fingertips and make sure they know, understand that they're never comfortable in their survivability or what's going to happen. Then I think you can do a successful horror game as long as the players buy it, which is the really important thing. So, again, you know, we've said this a lot of times. It comes down to the group you're with. And I think that's really important to this, too. That's a that's a really great. Uh, that's I think that's the that's the catchphrase for today. Horror isn't fair. <laughs> if, if you stick with that, that answers a lot of what we were just talking about. That's a great way to put it. Well, thank you. Yeah, and I think it came to me kind of as we were talking about it, because, like, what is the difference? Yeah. Well, we've been saying it all along, because, you know, okay, well, they can't just walk in and punch this guy in the face and win. Yeah, why not? Because but it's not fair. Not fair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because, because the balance isn't there, because they're not fighting the CR equal to their level. They're fighting something that is CR twice their level. You know, it's, yeah. it's not fair, and that's what you put them into. That's hard. That's awesome. But I think the real trick there is... If you're going to be killing characters off left and right, then, you know, they're respawning or you're bringing characters that investment in. It's not as fun. Like you said earlier, you have to keep them on the edge. Yeah, that's you have to make the threat of death is really real. I can do it. This can go the wrong way, but I'm not going to. It's like the hostage situation. Like, you know, you break the dial, you shoot the hostage. It's over. Yes. Well, I'm dead. I guess the, t- the horror is over. I'm going to go roll up a new character and see if that character is equally as scared. You can kill one or two, but it's got to be exceptional. Anytime the death becomes unexceptional, it's like we said, it becomes a problem-solving game, not really a horror game. Ooh, or characters are getting killed off a lot. Yeah, you can bring them back, Revivify, Resurrect, or whatever. But every time they come back, they lose a piece of themselves. Something is happening as they're coming back. They're... True. Starting to Dave's death curse right here. Right. That could be, cool. like, could be cool. Little by little, they're coming back. You know, when you stare into the abyss, it stares back at you. Well, here's a good mechanic. So you do that. Every time they come back, they have an increasing percentage chance to come back as a part of the bad guys team, as as evil. Oh yeah, right. Like pet cemetery. Huh? Yeah, 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 yeah. The pet cemetery mechanic. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I don't think you do the it every round time. Of but... It, yeah. it's 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 like 20 percent chance the first time 40 percent chance the oh, second time dude. and like let that be a known quantity right 
Let well, that I, or at least back, like after the first time, like have them roll out something. Like, what am I rolling? I'll let you know. Yeah, you hit, you hit, but you don't make it clear until some player trips the line. Then you do yeah. one on the sly, and then they go kill another player. And now we're having fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But Chris, right. seriously, don't do this in our next game, please. That's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's the Halloween. That's that's how you do Halloween. There you go. That, that's how we're gonna. That's how Chris is gonna adjust the death curse. <laughs> I hope you're listening, Chris. <laughs> All right, guys. It's been a great time. Can't wait. Uh, can't can't wait to game with you guys again. This Call of Cthulhu. This we're doing that this Friday. So perfect timing for a little bit of a scary game again. Good stuff. And thank you to all of you listening from home. We really appreciate it. If you liked what you've been listening to, please smash that five star rating button. Let us know. Leave a good review. Tell your friends. That really helps us grow. If you'd like to hear us answer any question you have, send it to us at threewisedms at gmail.com or go to our website, threewisedms.com, and enter it in the What's Your Problem field. Or you can talk to us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We're active on all those platforms. So feel free to drop by, you know, send us a question, and we'll see if we can make it on the show. That's it for this week. We'll see you next time. Three wise news.